to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Last week, we talked about the importance of community and what that looks like in our life and how all of our souls crave community. We crave to be with one another. In fact, it's part of our intrinsic needs that every single human being has to be known and to know others in some way, shape, or form. And while it's something that we all need and crave and long for, there's all kinds of barriers that we hit in order to move forward with that. Whether it's like, hey, I'm not really up for sacrificing the time, the energy, and the resources to have that happen. This level of vulnerability and intimacy feels really foreign to me in this, or this type of sacrifice is really not what I'm up for. Or, uh, in life, or some of us, we just find ourselves in scarcity. Like, I just don't have the time to engage with community, whatever it may be. And we talked through what it looks like for us, specifically as a community here at Humanity, to press past that and to lean into a commitment to gathering together, whether it's here on Sundays or in a Humanity group or with people that you know that you are connected with. Gathering together is so critical. And so we're going to enter into a conversation for the next few weeks that we are going to call Love Thy. And we're going to be engaging what it looks like to actually live a life of love. What does it look like? What does it look like to see the world through this radical lens of love? To see every single person that we encounter as my neighbor and what it means to love them fully. To see every single person that I encounter through the lens that they are holding a part of the image of God within them and to engage with them from that perspective. Now, I'm going to just tell you this. This is going to be like a few-week conversation, but this will be a lifelong challenge. If you are not aware of this, this is your lifelong challenge. I remember several years ago having an exit conversation with someone that was moving on from Humanity Church, and as the lead pastor, I get to have many of those over the years, and this particular individual said, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else because I just need something a little deeper, and I was like, okay, tell me more. I love feedback, so I'm like, tell me what you mean by deeper, and he was just going, he just said, you know, you guys just always talk about love and community here. And what I need, I just need some more Greek, and I need some more history, and I need some more. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely got that. Like, I understand that. And, and I said, let's just pause for a second. How, how, how many years do you imagine it's going to take you to fully realize the command of Jesus on your life to love others as you love yourself? And he paused, and he, he said, oh, yeah. I don't know if that will ever happen in this lifetime. And I said, yes, because when we are unwilling to go into the depths of love, we settle for the depths of intellect. Because it's easier to go into the depths of intellect rather than to engage the practices, the ways of Jesus. Not that we shouldn't engage in intellect. I have three theology degrees, so I've been there, done that. I see the value for it. And... It doesn't matter how much you know if you are not willing to dive into a life that actually lives out the knowledge 
of who Jesus is to go through the rhythms of this. And this will always, always, always be the context for humanity. I hope we dive deep into the understanding of the scriptures and the knowledge of who he is and the understanding of of the riches of the scriptures, but that it would always be paired with what does it look like to dive deep into a life defined by love for one another. Because here's the thing, if we can get that right, everything else follows suit. Everything else seems to fall into play with this. And so I want to take us to a place where Jesus commands us to love and talks to us about what it looks like to love. Here's Jesus. He's having this conversation on this hillside with thousands of people. In other passages of the scriptures, it's, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, this is what Jesus says to us and gives us this, these famous words to love thy fill in the blank. And he starts with this in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. He starts out with these very interesting words. He starts out with this phrase, but you who are listening, I say... Now, we're just going to pause right there because this is an interesting way to start off a conversation because here he is in a field with essentially like 5,000 plus people who have come to hear him. They've, they've journeyed from far away. They've sacrificed their time, their energy. They're straining to hear what he can say from far away because they didn't have a nice sound system like here in the Fox Theater. And they are there uh, like hanging on every bated breath of what Jesus is going to say to them because they know it's going to change their life. And he starts off the conversation with this, but you who are listening, I say. So Interesting. Have you ever had someone that you're in a conversation with and you are saying words to them, but they're not listening? Have you ever been the recipient of that as well, where someone is saying words to you and you just aren't listening? If you're married at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Marlon and I don't fight often, but in like 99% of our percentage of our fights, it's because we're not hearing one another. And in our dynamic, in our relationship, oftentimes this is how it goes. Marla will say something and I'll get frustrated with what she's saying. And then she'll say, no, that's not what I'm saying. And then in my stupid brain, I think, well, maybe if I just ask you to repeat back what you said again, then I'll hear it, but I am still mad, or vice versa. If, if I say something to Marla and I feel like it's a level two and she has a level 10 reaction, I just think in my brain, if I just say it again, you'll get it, right? <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, why aren't you, why are you so mad at this? This is not, a, I'm not, I'm not intending to be angry. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm literally just saying this thing and you're having this level 10 reaction because What we're actually hearing is not what's being said in the moment because it gets filtered through everything that's happening in here. How many of you have ever said something that in your mind, this is like a level two and you get a level 10 reaction over there and you're like, what just happened, right? Because there's a difference between hearing and listening. There's a difference between having the words go in your ears and actually connecting to what the other person is saying over there. Because here's the thing, you can actually hear the voice of God and never actually listen to him. God can actually be speaking to you all the time. I would actually suggest that he is speaking to you all the time. It is not a matter of whether or not he is speaking. It's a matter of whether or not we are actually listening and hearing what he has to say. Because usually what he has to say to us has a very hard time getting through all of our listening filters up here, 
We play a lot of games when it comes to our listening to what Jesus is up to here. Because most of our listening is tuned in to prove some story right about us, about world, about the world, about God around us. Some of us are listening from the perspective of, well, I'm the victim in life. And I've just been dealt the wrong cards, and no one is there for me, and life's so hard, and I really try, and I really want to do things, but it never turns out for me. I'm the one who always gets the short end of the stick. So when someone speaks to us, we're always listening for, oh, yeah, there it is again. I told you. For some of us, we're listening through the perspective of the villain, and we're just the one who, in order to win, someone has to lose, and life looks like a competition out there. And so we are constantly needing to defeat someone, or we're always on edge waiting for who we need to pounce on to get ahead. And so we're listening to protect ourselves, or we're listening to hide the pain that lives inside so it doesn't get too close. For some of us, we're listening through the hero, like I'm the one who always gets it right. I'm the one in the marriage who always does the right thing. I'm the one in the friendship who always sacrifices. I'm the one who gives, gives, gives. And then when it hurts, I give some more, right? And so we're listening through these filters, and so it's very difficult when God gives us something really precious to actually get it from here to here, because we may be hearing, but we're not listening. And so Jesus starts out this passage saying, but to you who are listening, I say, and he says this all throughout the scriptures. Sometimes he says, you who have ears, hear. He's not actually saying, for those of you who are like Vincent van Gogh and chopped off your ear, You know, he's actually just saying, like, you're probably not listening. This is important to to listen here. So Jesus starts off his talk with this because what he's about to say is going to have a very hard time passing through your listening filters. It's going to have a very hard time, especially the words that he's about to say. In fact, I'm going to say them, and I want you just to notice where you automatically go with these words. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, how many of you, when you immediately hear those, you have a ton of qualifiers that you want to put on those instantly? (laughs) I don't know about you, but the second I hear that, there's a lot of buts and ands that start flooding into the conversation. You know, love your enemies, but not when it's toxic and it's going to really hurt you. Then set some boundaries, right? (laughs) Or, you know, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and make sure that there's some room. You know, there's all kinds of qualifiers that we want to put on this because Jesus couldn't actually mean what he said here. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It couldn't be as simple as this. See, uh, this is why Jesus starts out with, you better tune your ears up to what I'm about to say because you're going to have a lot of buts and ands in this conversation. And so it's going to be very difficult to hear just the reality of what I am calling you into. And so the very first thing that Jesus says is, if you want to get this love thy neighbor thing down, you're going to have to change your listening filters for a second. In fact, let's just do an experiment. Pull out your phones. And I'd like for you to open a note page. For those of you who are over the age of 40, you may need to ask someone, how do I do that? That's okay. All right, just pull out a note, like something you can write on. If you want to even open a text message that you can send to yourself, no shame if you don't know how to open a notes page. Ask someone right now. Okay, I'd rather have you just say, how do I do this, and have them help you. But here's what I'd like for you to do. Open a note page. Open something you can write on. If you need to grab that guest card in front of you because you're like, I don't have my phone. I need to write on something or the back of that giving envelope. Whatever you need to do, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to just write down the names of some enemies in your life. 
No one's going to see this but you. Don't worry. I'm not going to have you get in groups and share your enemies, all right? But when I say enemies, most people think I don't really have any enemies. But I, I want you to just think about, hey, these are people who may seem out to get you. This could be a boss. It could be a coworker. It could be a family member that every time you're with them, it's just like, man, it seems like they're not out for my good. It seems like they're constantly undermining me. It seems like it's a struggle to be in relationship with them. Just, just jot down. I'm going to ask you just to free write all these names down, all the people who you would say, yeah, these are some enemies in my life. Who are your haters in life? Who are the people that you look at and you're like, man, I just know that they're jealous. I know that when they think of me that they, have, they struggle with their thoughts. And let's be honest, who are some of the people you hate? <laughs> and you may think, I don't hate anyone. But let's be honest, right? <laughs> these are the people that when you're with, there's like that little edge of just like, uh. Or these are those people that are like, hey, let's hang out. And you're like, maybe next year sometime. Who are the people in your life that have cursed you? Now, you may not think, like, no one's actually put a curse on me. But who are the people that have spoken things over your life that have affected who you are? It could be a parent. It could be a, a spouse. It could be a a brother or sister, it could be a cousin, someone that has spoken things over your life. Maybe you've even repaired since then, but you just know that that curse is kind of just still in play. They've spoken things over your life. They've spoken things over your existence, your purpose. Maybe it was a teacher or a coach at an early age. Maybe it's someone at work who's just constantly negative or a boss who's constantly nagging you. And who are the people who mistreat you in life? Just think about the people who have betrayed you, who their actions are not the best for you. Maybe someone that took something from you physically or maybe someone that has taken your dignity or your honor. Who are the people that mistreat you in life? I want you to just get some names down because this is going to be important as we go through this conversation to move this out of theory and into reality. See, part of the thing that will tune up your listening really fast is to move these concepts out of this nice idea and into, oh, when Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, this is who he's talking about, this list right here. Now, let me ask you this. I want you to just throw this out. As you're writing this list and as you're looking at this list, what are, what are some experiences that you have? Just shout some things out. Anger, what else? Betrayal, what else? Confusion, what else? Resistance, what's that? Resistance, what else? Guilt, what else? Judgment, what else? What's that? Shame, what else? Hatred. Yeah, all of these experiences that we have when we look at this list of people who are either our enemies, who are our haters, who have cursed us, or those who have mistreated us. Now, notice that no one, when they look at this list, immediately think, I need to pray. No one's like, oh, there, no one has a gut reaction of, I need to do good to these people, right? No one says, oh, man, I get to bless these people, right? No one's like, great, the next few days of fasting, I get to fast for these individuals. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. He says, look, these people on this list, your job is to do good, to pray, to bless, and to give generously back to those who are in this place, and this is the command that he gives us when it comes to love. And I want to actually show you why this is actually so important. And it's actually a much bigger conversation than you just being a good person. 
This actually is a conversation elevated beyond, well, Jesus just told me to, and so I'm supposed to, because I actually think Jesus is up to something much more bigger than we even realize when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Because right after he says that, he gives us some clear examples here of what this looks like. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm instantly like, Jesus had some massive boundaries issues, <laughs> right? Because I don't know about you, but like any therapist worth their salt would probably not tell you, hey, I'm in this relationship, and they keep slapping me on the cheek, and they say, you know what you should do? Just turn the other cheek, Right? That would be weird in our context, right? And even, even when like, yeah, this person keeps taking my clothes randomly out of my closet, they'd be like, why don't you just give them the whole wardrobe, right? This seems like Jesus is inviting us into an incredible toxic relationship that he's inviting us into having all kinds of boundary issues in our life. But here's the thing that I know about Jesus is that he's always setting us up for freedom. And yet here he is saying, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. If someone takes from you, give them back everything and don't expect them to repay you back. So what gives here? So let's take a look at these. Because he, he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, What's your natural response when someone slaps you on the cheek? Slap them back, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like that, that's not even like a, like a, like a, 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 a choice, right? I, I can't, I, there was this one time uh, when Jackson was one years old and I was giving him a bath and I had gotten done with the bath and he was crying and screaming and did not want to take the bath. He was way overtired. I get him out of the bath and he instantly wails right across my face, like just backhands me as hard as he could. And let me just tell you, I don't consider myself a child abuser, but I found myself instinctually going, <laughs> and I had to remind myself, he's one, right? And he is your son, and this is illegal and you don't want to go to jail, right? So, but it was amazing how, how it wasn't even like a choice, it was an instant reaction in that moment, because here's the thing, is that when Someone slaps you and you slap them back. What it just leaves you with is now two people in pain. That's right. Have you ever gotten revenge on someone for something that they did, for something that they, where they hurt you or they did something, you got them back and the revenge didn't feel as good as you thought it was going to feel? And you're just kind of like, oh, well, that wasn't very satisfying. And then it's like, well... What else can I do, right? How can I one-up them? I don't just want to slap them back. Now I want to slap them back and kick their shins in, right? Because that didn't feel as good as I thought it did in the moment. An eye for an eye just actually leaves everyone involved blind. And so we find ourselves in this space where when someone slaps us, our natural reaction is to slap them back. But here's the thing. When you're connected to Jesus, he actually hands you back one of the most precious things that you can have in your entire human existence, and that is your ability to choose in any moment. In fact, one of the greatest spiritual acts that you will ever do in your life is to decide that you are a chooser. And you choose the destiny of your life, you choose the future that you are going to have, you choose the texture of your life, and you choose the character that you are going to live in. Because let me just tell you, a slap back as an automatic response, you lose your choice in that moment. You are not choosing that in that moment, it is an automatic response that goes with that. 
And we find ourselves going, how did that happen? See, when you slap back, what you're telling the other person is, you now get to control my behavior. When you decide that you're going to slap back, you are telling that person, you now get to dictate to me how I am going to behave, and you now have the power in this relationship, and the cycle just continues. It goes on and on and on and on in this. And let me just tell you, you can look around at our nation and recognize that we are in a slapback cycle. One party slaps and the other party slaps back harder. One side slaps and the other side slaps back harder and it just keeps going and going and going until it spirals out of control. See, when someone says something to you and you choose not to say something back, when someone insults you and you choose not to insult back, When someone says something that offends you and you choose not to be offended, when someone engages you in a way that doesn't feel right and you choose not to respond in kind, what you are actually saying to them is, I refuse to let you take away my power in this moment. I refuse to let you take away my God-given choice in this moment. And so I, in this moment, choose love. Because I am a chooser, and I will choose the character in which I live, and I will always choose love. I remember several years ago, I was working with a close friend. It's always fun working with a close friend at times until it's not, right? (laughs) And we were working on this project, and they had promised me things were getting done, and they weren't getting done, and I found myself in this really awkward place of like, hey, can you get the work done? And, and a deadline was coming up, and they assured me it was getting done, and it wasn't getting done. And we had this moment when we were both supposed to come and say, hey, here's what we've done with the work here. And this person came and said, oh, man, I am so sorry. I've been so busy. I haven't gotten anything done, and it was doing a week. And I found myself ripping into this person, just because we're friends, right? <laughs> And I was ripping into every character flaw and everything that they had done wrong and every way they had let me down. And in that moment, they just paused and said, you're right. Would you please forgive me? And I was just like, don't do that, right? (laughs) You're supposed to slap back, right? And make me feel better about this, like, rant that I just went on. And they said, you know what, would you be willing to support me in moving through this so that next time this doesn't happen and and over the next two weeks or next week, how do I make this up for you? And in that moment, what I recognized is they said, look, I'm not going to allow you to choose how I respond in this moment, but I choose the way of Jesus even when everything inside of me wants to slap back. For how many of us, we've lost our ability to choose We've just given it away, and we are now in reactive mode in the world around us when Jesus is actually saying, hey, would you take a breath, (laughs) and would you be willing to pull back the gift that I have given you as a chooser in life, and would you be willing to choose rather than slap back when someone slaps you across the cheek? Would you be willing to choose the character that you will live in in this moment, The same thing goes with with this coat and shirt situation. In fact, there was this Roman rule that said that if a a Roman guard or a Roman centurion came to you and said, hey, I need your coat, that you had to give it to them. 
because they needed it, because they were more important than you. And so this was the rule that most of the Jews lived under, that when a guard came to them and said, I need your coat, it's cold outside, they had no choice but to give them their coat. And when someone takes your coat from you, the natural response, same thing with the slap, is like, hey, I want to get that back. And usually when someone takes something from us, it's not just I want to get that back, but I want to get that back plus interest, right? I want to get the coat back, plus I want the money, or I want to be repaid for the suffering that I had, or I want to get back that thing that you took from me in the middle of this. And so giving them your coat in that moment, and then saying, hey, would you also like my shirt, too, in that moment is a declaration saying, look, I choose who I'm generous with. No one gets to declare what scarcity I live in. I refuse to allow you to move me into this mindset that now I don't have enough, and so I have to hold on to the little bit that I have. So if you're going to take my coat, feel free to have the shirt as well, because it is a declaration saying, no one can take anything from me. Everything that I have is a gift. I live with a God who is constantly providing who is constantly giving, who is constantly generous, and you do not have control over my relationship with my resources. And so when you come and you say, hey, I'm going to take your coat, I'm going to say, I can out-generous that. (laughs) I can out-give that. Because isn't that what God does with us? When we demand things from him, does he not often give us, and then say, hey, I will give you even more even though you don't deserve it because I am a God filled with grace and mercy. Our life exists because God gives us the coat and the shirt every single time when we come to him. Now, you you may not have people in your life physically taking things from you. You may not have thieves in your life or you may not have someone come to you today and say, I need your North Face or whatever, right? That may not be the case for you, but How many of us have had people take our dignity or our honor or taken our respect in the moment? For spouses in the room, your spouse may take away your right to be right about something, your need for control, your need to feel good in every circumstance, in every situation, even where there's a covenant and a vow in those. But here's the beautiful thing about the way of love is that even in those moments, you get to choose. You get to choose how you're going to be relating with your resources and how you're going to view the world around you, either through a lens of, I don't have enough, so I need to keep the scraps that I have, or everything is a gift, and so I get to give back in the middle of this. You get to choose, once again, how you own your power. What I love about Jesus is that even when he is taken from He chooses mercy and grace all the time in the scriptures. And what I love about that is every single time Jesus chooses to elevate the human experience in those moments. I think one of the most powerful moments in the story, the narrative of Jesus, is when he is hanging on the cross. Now, that is a a beautiful spiritual moment where he relieves us from the debt, the burden of our own sin. But what he actually does while doing that is fascinating to me. 
Because here he is, wrongfully accused, taking away his innocence, taking away his dignity, taking away his honor, taking away his respect, mocked to the nth degree, and now is hanging on a cross, being executed. And this is what he's doing while he's up there. He's going, hey, mom, you, 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 you good? Someone going to take care of you? I just want to make sure while I'm up here. Wrongfully accused. You good? Okay. Make sure someone takes care of my mother. And then he looks over to the dude next to him and he says, hey, man, how's your soul? You doing okay? Oh, man, yeah, I get it. Yep, I'm with you, man. So here's what I want to do. I want to offer you salvation right now in the middle of us being executed together. I just want to make sure that you're in heaven with me, all right? So you and me, bro, we're going to do this. See you in a few, right? And then... He's standing before the very people that nailed him to a cross. And he looks down at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, this is crazy love. This is crazy generosity, right? In the middle of him being executed. He's saying, I need to take care of the people that I love. I need to make sure the people that are lost find life. And I make sure, need to make sure that all of humanity gets what they do need from the Father before I leave this earth. He is moved into a space of compassion and mercy and generosity and forgiveness. Now, every time I preach about this passage, me and others, there's this back of your mind conversation with all the whatabouts, right? How many of you can feel that inside of you, right? Like all of the, well, what about this? And well, what about that? I don't know. Because here's the thing. There's so many, well, what about self-love? And what about self-respect? And what about safety? And what about self-esteem? And what about what I want? And what about what's good for me? I don't know, but consider this. Jesus loved until he was nailed on a cross by his enemies. And so till you reach that point, you have not reached the limits of love that Jesus has prescribed for you. Until your spouse has you nailed to a cross. Until your boss has you nailed to a cross. Until those people on your list have nailed you to a cross, you are to keep loving and to keep giving and to keep choosing the way of love. Now, I don't know if that's right, but I'm just going to go with that for this morning. I'm going to ask you to at least look out at the world through that lens for a moment and see what it might open up. Because what I do know is that's what Jesus did. And I know that we are called to walk in that way. And this type of radical love, I guarantee you, does not diminish your humanity. It does not diminish your power. It actually elevates it to probably the highest level that you could experience here on this earth. Because I don't know if anyone looks at Jesus on the cross and say he was such a pushover. That in that moment, look at him. Look at, how, look at how undignified he is. Look at how he's lost his boundaries. Look at how little self-love he has in that moment. I don't know if anyone looks at Jesus and says that in that moment. But what I do look at at Jesus in that moment, I say, man, he refused to let anyone derail him from his mission of love. He refused to let any circumstance, any word, any situation derail him from his mission that every human being on the planet would know that God loves them in that moment. It was Jesus saying, I choose. I hold my power and I choose love. I choose sacrifice. And no one can derail me from that purpose here. 
See, and one of the ways that I become God-like, Christ-like, is that I interrupt the cycle of betrayal. I interrupt the slap back conversation. I interrupt the scarcity conversation of, hey, if you take my coat, I'm going to take your coat back. I interrupt the conversation of, hey, if you're struggling financially, I'm going to get mine and you don't get yours over there. He interrupts the conversation. And this is what I love because this is what Jesus did for me. It's what he did for you. And so when we choose the way of Jesus, we choose the way of love, we choose a future for humanity that does not involve chaos or scarcity or this cycle of continual pain. It interrupts all of it. And here's the thing. For some of you, this conversation is actually generational. Because you can look back at your family history and it has been one slapback after slapback after slapback. That you can look at your parents and say, yeah, they did all those screwy things to me because their parents did all the screwy things to them and their great-grandparents did those things to them. And this cycle has continued in my family for generations and generations and generations. And the pattern of turning the other cheek was never offered. It was always a slap back. The pattern of leaning into abundance was never inserted into my family's story. It was always a story of scarcity. That this story of abundance rather than poverty was never inserted into my family history, but we keep repeating the cycle generation after generation after generation. And when Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you, what he is saying is, I would like to interrupt your family legacy with you. And if you're willing to own your choices and to choose love, there is a new future for the generations coming after you that will now be available that was not available before. Because you stepped into the line of Jesus in this moment, but it begins with a choice to love. And this is how Jesus ends this conversation. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting any payback. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful and just as your father is merciful. 99% of the people that I coach when I ask them, are you a loving person, would say yes. That's just like our natural self-flattery, isn't it? Of course I'm a loving person. And like, look, even when you're reading this, you may may be like, well, yeah, I'm a loving person. But usually what 98% of those people mean is, yes, I love people who love me back. I love people who are very easy to love. I love people who give and who have the same interests and who have the same perspectives of me. I love people who fit into my box of love who match my perspectives, my preferences, who, who match my worldviews, who, who, who are comfortable, who are easy, who I can tolerate in life. And this is how we define ourselves as a loving people. But Jesus looks at that and he goes, uh, even sinners do that. Like, this is a really low bar you're setting for yourself over here in this conversation. 
But Jesus says, here's how I would love for you to define love because this is how I define love. He said, if I ask the people on that list how much love are they receiving from you, that's the love that I'm talking about. If we were to go to those people on your list and say, hey, how much does so-and-so love you? Do they, do they, like, do you get all of them? Like, when, when you're with them, do you feel like they are sacrificing for you? Do they know that, 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 that you're praying for them? What would you say to those people? Yes, I am blessing them, and I am praying good for them. And not I'm just praying, I, I am doing good for them. Jesus says, that's how I would love for you to define love, based on those people on your list. And get into the space of sacrificing for the sake of love. See, this conversation isn't to shame you or in any way or to judgment. Look, I have my own list that I did this week, and it was shocking. <laughs> but this is really to spur us on to the next level of love and to move past a superficial definition of love and into what Jesus calls us into. And I love that Jesus ends with this. He says, if you are willing to live this lifestyle of love, great will be your reward. Now here's the catch. The second you start loving for the reward, it's no longer love, right? <laughs> it's like those who like say, I'm such a humble person, right? <laughs> the second you say that, you're really not a humble person, right? I work with, I work with a lot of people, and I, the people who say, I am so self-aware, I instantly go, you are the, probably the least self-aware person in the room, right? Because <laughs> if you were self-aware, you'd know I'm probably not that self-aware in, in, in any given context. So when you, when, you are, when you are loving for the reward, then it becomes manipulation and extortion. You're no longer actually just sacrificing and giving for them in the middle of this. But the reward is actually a natural result that comes from this mindset of love. From recognizing, I choose. And no one gets to decide how I engage one another. No one has power over my behavior except me and the Lord and I choose. I choose whether I'm living in scarcity or abundance. I choose whether I give or withhold. I choose whether uh, I choose to slap back or withhold myself in the middle of this. And, and the natural result is actually that you will, for the first time maybe ever, recognize that you are children of the Most High. Not that you suddenly become children of the Most High the second you love, but you become children of the Most High. I remember as a kid, uh, one of my good friends, Casey Marvin, he had this house, big house, beautiful pool, one of those pools with like rock formations and waterfalls, you know what I'm talking about. And he had uh, this fridge in his backyard. And uh, we grew up in kind of like lower middle class family early on. And uh, I loved going to Casey's house during the summer because we could just swim all day long. But he had this fridge right by the pool. And in the fridge, it was always stocked full of IBC cream soda and root beer. In the bottle. You know what I'm talking about? And there is nothing better for like a, like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, like swimming all day and having the fridge stocked with IBC root beer and cream soda. Things that like we probably couldn't afford a lot of at our house, but he had just like hundreds of bottles in there. And it seemed like when we grabbed someone, I don't, I don't uh, grab some, I don't know if it's like mom magically snuck out, but it seemed like that fridge was never empty. <laughs> and so we would just 
be there all the time. And we lived like kings all summer long because we had the pool and we had the IBC, right? And the fridge was always full. So here's the thing. The, the second you start loving in this way of Jesus, like I said, it's not that suddenly you're like, oh, I am a child of the most high now. <laughs> it's, it's as you sacrificially love, as you choose generosity, as you choose forgiveness, as you choose to turn the other cheek, as you choose to own your power, as you choose to own your place as a chooser in the kingdom of God, suddenly it dawns on you, oh, I am a child of the Most High. And because of that, I have access to all of the resources of the kingdom. In other words, the heavenly fridge is always full. <laughs> And there is never a moment where it is not full. And love suddenly always becomes available in any given moment. That healing becomes available in any given moment. That protection becomes available in any given moment. That restoration and redemption and salvation and faith and hope and healing become available for you. And when you take on the role, when you're willing to take on this role of I am a child of the Most High, suddenly you recognize that I have access to the fridge that is always full. And the natural, the natural result is that you will live a life of generous love. And that you will live a life filled with that because you have been loved generously by the Most High as His daughter or son. See, the blessing isn't like a new car or a huge bank account. It is not the perfect career. I hate to disappoint some of you, but it is actually something far more valuable. It's a perspective of recognizing that when you were an enemy to God, he chose love. That when you hated God with your actions and your emotions and your thoughts, he chose to do good for you. That when you cursed God with your life, that he chose to bless you instead. That when you mistreated him with the way that you engaged people around you and the way you withheld forgiveness and the ways that you refused to live humbly and to do justly, in the world around you that he chose to bless you and pray for you in those moments and that he was always merciful. And because of that, you have the opportunity to be merciful too. I am convinced that the only thing that will transform our world, the only thing is this type of radical love but it begins with the recognition that I am a child of the Most High. How could I have missed that? See, part of this is just remembering who you are. And from that space, recognizing that I have received power, that I have received love, and I have been given this ability to choose. And once that happens, the reward is ours. And you can go out giving away love, blessing, praying for, doing good to all of those people on that list you made because it's all been given to you. And the beautiful thing is that we become those who interrupt the cycle that humanity is stuck in right now. 
we will become those who say, I refuse to let this continue. I refuse to let this continue in my family line. I refuse to let this continue at my work. I refuse to let this continue at my marriage. I refuse to let this continue with my kids. I refuse to let this continue at my school. And all it takes is one. All it takes is one who says, I refuse to let anyone choose for me. I choose love. Changing the future of humanity forever begins with these words. Love thy enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that we are recipients of this radical love. And God, I ask that you would right now remind us of that. God, remind us that we are those who have been the beneficiaries of that type of radical generosity from you, your mercy and your compassion. And for those of you who are here in this place who have not yet connected to Jesus, and you're like, hey, this, this type of radical love seems foreign to me, or I don't know if I'm able to do this, or I don't know if I'm able to engage in this. I'd love for you to give you just an opportunity to connect to him right now. And if you're here this morning and maybe you have not yet connected into a relationship with this God who has generously loved you, and you would love to have that, not only so that you can experience that, but so that you can give it away, this is your moment. So if that's you this morning, if you're like, man, I I want to connect to this God, to this Jesus who loves me so deeply, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand? Awesome. If you're online, you can just click that button that says, today I choose to follow Jesus. And I just want you to pray this prayer to yourself. You can just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am a sinner. I know that you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could fully live. I thank you for your kindness, and I choose to follow you today as Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.